This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome, Torah Anytime viewers. Welcome, everybody else. Ah, look at that. I switched it today. I don't know why. Probably because you threw me off with that question. Um, okay, tonight's class is sponsored by Erica and Sevi in honor and gratitude towards to Hashem for their uh, healthy birth of a baby girl. May they have much nachas and may they bring her into Torah, Chupa, or Masim Tovim. The, okay. Address, thank you very much. Okay, everybody is welcome to join us uh, for our women's only class in Brooklyn, New York. What's the zip code? 11229. Uh, at the BJX at 1601. Quentin. Quentin Road, thank you. So you know that you don't, you, you know, nowadays all you do is just use Google Maps and you don't even know where anything, like, where do I live again? Where's my bathroom? Okay. So, um, yeah, 1601 Quentin Road every Thursday at 8 p.m. But email me beforehand just to make sure that we're still on. Uh, women only. I think I covered all the grounds. Okay, let's begin. Um, and there is a spread of food that is uh, presented each and every week, which is amazing. Um, thank you for whoever sponsored. This week is Erica and Zevi, and for the general sponsors throughout the weeks. Okay, so tonight, 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 tonight. Ah, tonight. All right, thank you all for coming. And uh, we'll continue next week. Tonight we're going to speak about a very, very important topic, a topic that actually comes up very often when people actually get into the heat of the argument of Judaism, when they actually get involved in it. What does it all boil down to? The rabbis. The rabbis made it up. The rabbis are the problem of everything. So tonight we're going to be dealing with something called the oral law. The oral law is a terrible, terrible interpretation of Torah Shabbat Peh because it's not just law. And in fact, when you deal with the oral law, it's not the oral law. It really should be the oral Torah, if you could think of it like uh, that. Or Torah by heart, if you want to, you know, Torah Shabbat Peh. You know, it, it's, it's the Torah itself, even the actual written law. And we're going we're gonna to use this terminology just because it's the regular terminology that people use. You have the written law, which is the... How many, people, how many books do we have in the written law? Written law. How many books? One. All right. What? 24. 24. Thank you very much. 24. All right. What is this? Price is right. All right. Then you'll win this beautiful black chair. All right. You can take home with you. So there are 24 books. Let's go a little bit easier. How many books are in Chamishay Chamishay Torah? Oh, very good. Excellent. How many books in the Vim? Just guess. Eight. Oh, who said eight? Good job. Good job. Yeah, yeah. And how many books in Ktuvim? 13 minus 1. Let's go. What is it? <laughs> 11, very good, okay. 11 books. The, 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 those are the books of the written, the written uh, uh, law. So you're dealing with the Chamsheikh and Chetua. So you're dealing with, uh, you know, Beratius, uh, let's do it in English, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then you have other books. So you have things like Eov, Estel, jo- well, Job is Eov. Um, why is it popping up twice? I don't know. Um, you have uh, Malachim, Joshua, all those. This is it's considered the, the written law. And the oral law, does anybody know how many books are in the oral law? Infinite amount. There's a, you can't, we don't know how many. There's a, there's a, there's a tremendous amount uh, that's written on it. But people usually think the oral law just depends on the Talmud. But really the oral law is a lot more uh, than uh, the Talmud. Uh, how many books are in the Talmud? We're not in a men's class, so it's fine if you don't know this. 63. Who said 63? Excellent job. Okay, you guys are on fire today. Wow. So, okay. So, um, the, you, you know, you have um, the, that is the written law. The written law was, um, uh, let's speak about the oral law, because that's what we're dealing with today. The oral law, the first 
time that the oral law is written was in the year 188 Common Era. That's where the Mishnah by Rabbi Huda Hanasi was written down. We're going to go through the history. One of the classes that I want to do, Hashem, hopefully next week we'll go through the history of the oral law. But it started off in 188 Common Era, being that we're asking questions. How many years ago was that? Uh, Roughly speaking. 1800 years ago? Who said 1800 years ago? Wow, you guys are good today. Okay. Multiple personality order, right? This order today. Okay, so you have uh, about 1800 years ago was the first time that the oral law was written down. Three, roughly a little bit over 300 years later, the year 500 Common Era, is where you have the Gemara, the Talmud, the, uh, was, was written down. Now, don't get confused and do not think, when we're dealing with the 613... Oh, very good, commandments, mitzvot. The 613 mitzvot, they are weird. Are they, I'll give you three options. Are they A, in the five books of Moses? Are they B, in the written, all the written law? Or are they split up amongst the five books of Moses, the written law, and the oral law? You say all of above. Or D, none of the above. Different religion, you're in the wrong place. All right, down the hall, and then they also on. All right, so um, the answer is, is that all the 613 commandments are written in the Chamishay, Chamishay Torah, in the five books of Moses. Don't think that there are 300 here and then the, the oral Torah, the oral law brought in the rest of it. No, no, no. All 613 commandments are in the written, in the written uh, Torah. Now, who are the biggest people that this, well, they claim the invalidity of the, of the oral Torah? Number one is you have the Christians, right? On the top of the, on the, number one, our most, I don't know. I know there's a game show doing that, but I, I don't know what it's called now. Um, number one, we have Christianity. Number two, we have a group called the Karaites. Number three, we have, uh, you know, Jews that are heretics. Uh, you know, and it's, what? Right, so don't can you conclude them also, depending on, uh, you know, where and uh, what they're actually holding. Which we'll do, possibly we'll deal with them later. The, so when you look at it like this, there are, there are groups of people that claim the oral law, Nonsense. Gibberish made up by the rabbis has nothing to do with Judaism. It's completely false and you, we cannot listen to it. Now, what's, what's very interesting is, what do you think came first? The oral law or the written law? The, the, well, the truth is, oh, very good. It's first started, first of all, it's not, it's, it's one. It's one, it's like, it's like an explanation to it. The, the written is written down, the oral explains the written. But in essence, it's really, it, it's really in essence, it's really one. But it first came just orally. When Moses, when we heard the Torah from God, when we heard the commandments from God, and when Moses came down by the Torah, that was all orally. When was it written down? 40 years after we got the Torah, when Moses was about to die, when Moshe Rabbeinu was about to die, he wrote down the Torah. So until then, it was all oral. Everything was oral, and only then it was, it was, uh, it was written down. The, you know, when, when people go and they claim, let's, let's speak about uh, Messianic um, uh, cult rabbis, uh, Messianic leaders. Uh, they are um, odd people. Very, very odd people. Why are they odd people? Because they claim something. What do they claim? They claim that the oral law, like we said, is, is fake, is made up. The written law, that's true. But let's look at their practice. What do they actually do? And there's something very fascinating when you actually look at their practice. What they do, let's give a few examples. They make kiddush on Shabbat. Oral. Oral law. They um, light the Hanukkah candles. Also oral. They make a bracha on bread. Also oral. So it's interesting. They say the oral is made up. It's fake. 
but yet they practice the oral. Now let's look at what's the written Torah. The written Torah says, keep Shabbat, keep Nida, don't wear shotness. They don't keep that. So they claim, now, now bear with me for a second, um, because, well, it's really not that complicated. They claim the oral law made up fake, but that's what they do. They claim the written law, true, but they don't listen to that. Can you explain that to me, please? They is the Christians, Messianic uh, uh, Jews. Uh, well, they're not really Jews, most of them. Most of them are just Messianic, and most of them are just Christians. The, the way that uh, Messianic Judaism came out is that they wanted to incorporate a lot of Jews into Christianity. So what they did was they tried to make it a little bit more Jewy, uh, you know, like, so put a little bit more of Jewish stuff. But what happened was a majority of their, of their followers are really just Christian who wanted to be, do a little more Jewy stuff. Because, you know, after all, this is where it all stems from. This is where it all comes from. So this is where their, their bulk of thing. But they actually, unfortunately, they do, they do get, you know, Jews into their, um, into their cult. So, um, the, you know, but, but when you think about it, it's very interesting. They claim that it's false, but they listen to that. What they claim that it's true, they don't listen to it. So you're hiccup again. What is it? If it's false, then why are you following it? Why are you following it? I, I don't understand. If you're claiming that it's false, it doesn't make any sense. I've had people that have had this conversation. This is the way that the conversation goes. I'll, tell you, I'll teach you one of my, my tricks. So um, I'm having an argument, a talk, whatever, a sit down with somebody who claims not to believe in Judaism. And um, generally, it could go in, in you know, different, different, uh, different areas, different venues, but it more or less very often falls into this, this, you know, this kind of category. Do you believe in the written Torah? Yeah, the written Torah I believe in. That, that, that's, that's, that's true. So the oral Torah, the rabbis, they, that's where you have the problem. I'm like, okay, fine. Um, I'll give that to you. Do you keep the written uh, Torah? And they're like, oh yeah, of course, the written Torah I keep. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. Um, do you keep the Ten Commandments? I'm like, Ten Commandments, of course. My next question usually is, do you know the Ten Commandments? Uh... I know it's like, you know, do not murder, do not sleep with your friend's wife, you know, do not curse God. You know, and they get like a handful of them. They usually forget about, you know, a bunch of them. I say, and then I go, specifically, do you know number four? The first five, right? Did you know the first five? Number four. Do you know what number four is? Number four is that you have to keep Shabbat. Do you keep Shabbat? What do they usually, well, I don't usually work on Shabbat. I'm like, I, that doesn't answer my question. Do you keep Shabbat? And the answer is no. So I'm like, the, you are telling yourself that you keep the, the written law. You don't even keep the Ten Commandments. You don't even keep the Ten Commandments. You're convincing yourself that you keep the written law. Are you kidding me? So people claim a lot of things. Just like these Christians. They claim that they listen to something. But they don't know. No, it's, the truth is it's, it's, it's you know, a lack of knowledge or you know, a, just ignorant. Whatever it is, they claim something, but they actually don't follow it. They don't know anything. There are many people. You, know, you, you have to learn how to read people. This is very important in life. Because, um, you know, and, and no matter where you are in life, even if you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, you still have to learn how to read people. Because people could scam you. Could be, there are some people that you should be able to know right away. They know nothing. Like sometimes I sit down with people and I have to talk with them. The first five words that come out of their mouth, I'm like, this guy is ignorant, doesn't know what a one plus two is. If I say A plus B equals C, he's not going to know what, you know, like they're, they're literally like nothing. And... And some of these people, they present themselves with a tremendous amount of confidence. And they sell them. So a lot of people, they'll, they'll fail, they'll fall for it and they'll think it. You have to go and you have to realize how to read people. There's some people that they claim, and who is the worst? What is it, the worst? The worst is when you're fooling yourself. The worst is when you claim, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm following the written Torah. I'm following the Torah. I'm a good person. Deep inside. Deep, deep inside. Like if you go really, 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 like I'm talking about deep, deep inside, I'm like a really good person. You know, 
And I'm like, you know, that's very nice to hear, Pablo Escobar. You know, I'm sure that you are really, really deep inside. But what are you really a... Does nobody know? And people know here what Pablo Escobar is? Okay. He's not a rabbi, I'll tell you that much. Okay. So, okay. The, you know, when... The, let's, so let's go. The, the focus of today is to prove that the oral law must exist. Now, now let me repeat that. It must exist. Afterwards, we're going to go and we're going to answer our different questions in the, in, you know, in the following classes, but the first and foremost, we have to prove that it does and must exist. The, you okay? And scene. All right. So, okay. I'll go with the you know, theme of the day. Okay. There are something called cities of refuge. You know what that is? Anybody familiar with that? If let's say you accidentally murder somebody in the biblical times, then you would run to six cities. And the six cities, one of them, you know, three of them are the east side of the Jordan. Three of them are in the land of Israel. If you get there in time, then you cannot be avenged by the relative of the person that was accidentally murdered. If you don't understand that, we're not going to get into it because it's just, you know, we don't have the time to go and, and delve into it. But the idea is, is that this law is only applicable during biblical times. The written, the oral law, I'm sorry, was brought into writing after biblical times. So what we're going to show now is that in the in Makot, in Makot, there is a Mishnah that speaks about the city of refuge, which means is, is that the oral law is writing down something that is not even applicable nowadays. It's applicable in the biblical times. Why are they writing it down? Must be that this already was existed during biblical times, and that's why they're writing it down. So we see over here, Something very, very important that people will say, oh, the oral law, the rabbis made it up. But we have proof that the oral law was already existing before the rabbis made it up. Can you say the rabbis made it up beforehand? Yeah, you can. And we'll deal with that soon. But right here we're showing that the oral law did not, was not made up right when the rabbis wrote it down. Because it already existed beforehand because we have documented proof. Why would you write a law that is no longer applicable? It makes absolutely no sense. You think about the, uh, the mikvah. Uh, the mikvah, we, we spoke about two weeks ago. The um, Mesada, right? You guys remember Mesada? The, so in Mesada, they found a mikvah. The, the story of Mesada happened before, you're talking about over 200 years before the oral law was even written down. In Mesada, they found the, they found, uh, they found the mikvah to the specification of the oral law. Which means is the oral law must have existed by the time of Mesada. And that was already beforehand. You're talking about 200, 250 years prior to the, uh, to the, even the, the writing of the Mishnah. Now, um, that is, and by the way, how, what do we have in, how many verses do we have in, about mikvah in the Torah? We have one verse. One verse in Vayukra, Leviticus chapter 11, verse 36. That is one thing, let's put that on the side. Let's speak about a different proof right now. Uh, the, we're dealing, we're now, right now we're dealing with something called the Hebrew orthography. There is something called nukudot. Nukudot is, um, think of it as diacritical Symbols to understand, to, you know, vowelizations of the words. So, who here knows what Nikudot are? Put your hands down. Who here does not know what Nikudot are? Okay. Who here is too embarrassed to raise your hand? Okay. Who here does not have hands? Okay. So, um, the, think of it this, let me explain it this way. Um, there are vowels. Who here knows the vowels? Okay, that's it. Okay. Who here wants to buy a vowel? Okay. Um, so, <laughs> It, there, uh, the, let's say you take A. What sound does A make? Uh, what sound does E? Right, depends where you come from, that's true. What sound does E make? 
Uh, well, I guess also depends where you come from. <laughs> a and E makes the same sound for you. <laughs> so, uh, so you have right. Every vowel makes their own specific sound. Granted, where you come from, it depends. It varies. That's true. In the Hebrew alphabet, the aleph doesn't make the same sound all the time. It depends what nikudot, what vowel, what, what the, the, I guess we call vowels that you have under it. A could be a kamatz, it could be a segal, it could be a patach. So a, an aleph, I'm sorry, not a, an aleph, an aleph could be a, e, u, e. It could be so many different vowelizations depending on what it's under it. Now, if you ever looked inside a Torah, a Torah that is written by a scribe, you know, the, the kosher Torah, there's no vowels inside of there. Which means is that you needed to know how to read the word before, you know, orally. Some, there's had to be some sort of tradition in order to know how to read the word. And I'll give you the proof. So there is something, uh, you know, here, for whoever knows Hebrew, you can help me out of here. Chet Lamet Bet. What does that spell? What does that spell? Who said, what? Chala. Very good. Anybody think it spells anything else? Chalev. Excellent. Very good. So when it says in the Torah, in Levit, in, uh, I'm sorry, in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 23, verse 18, it says over here, you should not leave over chet lamed bet. So you should not overnight. What you should not leave overnight? Well, we have two options over here all of a sudden. We have your chalav, which means milk. You should not leave milk overnight. Great idea, right? Not a good idea, right? You should not leave milk overnight, or, you know, or it can mean chalav, which is fats. You should not leave fats overnight. Now this has halachic implications. What does it mean? Now if there is no, and all, the words are spelled exactly the same. The pronunciation is different depending on the nikudot that they have. And the Torah doesn't have a nikudot, so how do we know how to read it? Must be there is a tradition, there is an oral law that tells you this is how you read this particular word. This word is really ri- written as, it's really pronounced as chalav and fats, and not chalav and not as, as milk. You have another example that Rabbi Mordechai Becher brings in Exodus chapter 34, verse 23. It says, Shalosh panim bashana, three times a year, year uh, well, let me, not, let me not, spoiler alert, okay. It says, Yud Resh Aleph Hey. Now I'm not going to ask you what this, uh, what this spells out, but I'll give you four options. And these are all four accurate options. It can mean number one. It can mean Yira, he shall fear. So three times a year, you shall fear. Or option number two, Yire, he shall see. So three times a year, you shall see. Or number three, Yara, he shall show. Three times of the year, he shall show. Or four, Yira'e, three times a year, he shall appear. Now this is, this is, you know, this is dealing with a verse in the Torah that has halachic implications. What does it mean? Does it mean he shall show, he shall fear, he shall be, he shall appear? What does it mean? In order to understand it, in order to know how to read the Torah, there has to be an oral tradition. There has to be an oral law. It is impossible to read it otherwise. Which mean, and by the way, you know, only the, I don't know, fix, between the 5th and the 7th century, uh, common era, is when the vowelization started being written down. Beforehand, it was just, everybody just knew how to read it because they knew it because based off the oral law. Furthermore, there is no commas, there's no periods in the Torah. If you actually look inside the Torah, it doesn't say, and there's no commas, there's no periods. You have to know how to stop. You have to know how to stop. You have to know when to start. The, uh, think of it this way. I'll give you a few sentences. Um, and I'll show you the difference when there is a comma and when there's no comma to how much the sentence changes the meaning to it. Sentence number one. If I come to you and I say, let's eat grandpa, what would you think? You know, assuming that you have some association with cannibalism, uh, we are going to be eating, you know, grandpa. But let's say, I would say, let's eat Comma, grandpa. What does that mean? I'm talking to grandpa all the time. Grandpa, let's eat. You see how just one comma makes a complete difference? This is a real sign. This is a sign that was put up in front of a uh, in front of the loo. Anybody know what the loo means? Right? Yeah. The bathroom. The John. Um, I guess it's over there. It's loo, and over here it's John. I don't know. It's interesting. 
it says like this. The sign says in front of the toilet. It says, toilet only for disabled elderly pregnant children. This is a very privileged toilet, right? <laughs> this is a very, very small group that they're marketing over here. You have to be disabled, elderly, pregnant, and a child at the same time. Then please, you know, Bechavod, you can use a toilet. Or, that's one way to read it. Or, if let's add some commas. Toilet only for disabled, comma, elderly, comma, pregnant, comma, children, comma. Then it makes a, lot, a big difference. You know, this, is the, this was a sentence that was produced to two different focus groups. One completely men, one completely woman, and they said put the commas in the, in, you know, in the places that you need. The sentence is like this. A woman without her man is nothing. That is the sentence. The men took the commas and they wrote it like this. A woman without her man, comma, is nothing. <laughs> woman put the commas a little bit differently. Woman said a woman, comma, without her, comma, man is nothing. Nice. You know, here you have two exact same sentences that mean completely two different things. You see how important the punctuation is? And see how important the, you know, this is not, we're not even dealing with validation. There's a, there's another sign that says, slow kids at play. What would you think? There are slow kids at play. You know, like, thank you for the information and, you know, continue driving. Or you could say slow kids at play. There's, there's another, uh, this, is, this was a PowerPoint presentation that was, the, the average American consumes more than 400 Africans. <laughs> the average American consumes more than 400 Africans. Which, um, again, if you're in the same grandpa cannibalism you know, group, you would be like, alright, you know, cool, uh, you know, it sounds good. The, but, it, you know, if you think about it, first of all, it's so true. Whatever, it doesn't matter, cannibalism or not. Like the average American for sure, you know, you know what was it, consumes more than 400 Africans. It, it, even though it doesn't matter what you're talking about, electricity, food, you know, tissue paper, you know, insecticide, whatever it is, it's for sure, it's, it's true. But it really depends where you're putting the, where you're putting the, you know, the comma. There were, there were a group of uh, people that were found swimming in a pool and uh, were in the ocean, whatever, pick your, you know, it's a story, doesn't matter. Um, and it says, uh, there's a big sign, it says no swimming allowed. And the lecturer comes in and be like, I don't understand, how are you guys swimming here? There's no, it says the sign of you, don't you read the sign, it says no swimming allowed. So, they say, no, we read it differently. We said, no! Exclamation point. Swimming allowed! So we swam, you know. There's a guy that got pulled over by a cop. And he says, uh, you know, you did an illegal U-turn. And the guy says, what can I tell you, officer? He says, I did not want to make the U-turn. And for streets and streets, says, no, U-turn. No, U-turn. No, U-turn. I'm like, well, after a certain amount of time, I saw so many signs that tell me to turn. I had to turn. So it really depends how you read it. Maybe that's why they put the sign now and they don't write it anymore in words. Um, But it really depends. I could not figure that one out. It's a, the, the average American consumes more food than the average than four hundred. Yeah, oh. I would assume so. Than than four hundred. You ever see though? You know, I don't know. Back in the day, it was like for like sixty three cents. You know, you could support an African child. You know, and save him from hunger. You know, I don't know what sixty three cents does in Africa. I mean, I understand inflation and different things, but what is going to buy him a banana? Like he needs more than sixty three cents. A cup of coffee costs more than sixty three cents. Um, and then they show you a picture of a little African kid, you know, he's bald, you see his ribs, you know, and he has like a fly, like swat, like on his face, lands on his eyeball, you know, and you're just thinking over there, you know, you know, blink Jamal, blink, blink for crying out loud. Um, so, uh, yeah, the average American, you know, uh, consumes more than 400, I don't know how we're getting to Africa. Okay, so, um, but if you want to hunt, F- oh, okay, well, you know, so, um, 
that is that 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 is one that is one that is uh, proof number two. Proof number two is there. There is no way to learn the Torah without an oral tradition, without an oral law. Which means is there must be an oral law. There is no way out of it. There is a, there is another proof. This is proof number three that. It's impossible to understand the written law without the oral law. And we're going to bring some proofs uh, for that. It says in Tehilim, in chapter 19, verse 8, Torah Hashem Tmima. The Torah is perfect. Now, perfect means that there's no ambiguity. You'll be able to understand it. You'll be able to, you know, figure it out. It's, it's no, it's perfect. But yeah, when we look at the Torah, if we just look at the written Torah, it's far from perfect. There has to be another piece to it in order to make it perfect. And let's look at. Bamidbar, Numbers, chapter 29, verse 1. It says, regarding Rosh Hashanah, it says, Yom Tua Yelachem. It shall be a day of shofar sounding. Now let's say, this is the beginning of time, right? You know what a shofar is? You don't know. Now you know what a shofar is. What is a shofar? Maybe it's a trumpet. Maybe it's a harmonica. Maybe it's a guy that knows how to whistle with two fingers. You know, maybe, like how do you know that a shofar on Rosh Hashanah, you have to have from a certain animal, from a whore, you know, like a ram's horn, and you have to go and you have to blow a certain amount. How do you know that? All it says in the Torah that it's supposed to be a day of blowing for you. It's a day of shofar sounding for you. Trumpet, you know, trombone. I don't know, is that a, I think that's a thing that you blow into, right? You have, a, um, you, you have a guy that knows how to whistle without anything, right? A Mexican, right? So you have a guy that was, you know, that was going to go really, really, really loud, you know, just with, the, with, with just his tongue. Maybe he could do a chauffeur sound. Can he go, and, what makes it, how do we know that? How do you understand that? We don't. The only way to understand this is only if we have another, another explanation to it, to, uh, to it. In Exodus, chapter 31, verse 14, it says that you're not allowed to work on Shabbat. Let me read you the Pasuk. The Pasuk says like this, Shabbat. You have to guard the Shabbat. Keep the Shabbat. Ki kodesh hilachem. Because it is holy to you. Mechalelea. Someone who desecrates it. Mot yumat. Will surely die. Mot yumat, by the way, is a double language of death. He shall surely die. Which means die in this world and die in the next world. Ki kola ose bo Because whoever does work on the day of Shabbat. The soul is going to get cut off. Cut off is not a good sign, right? If you have a rich daddy and the daddy says you're cut off. You will do anything, you know, to not get cut off. Imagine what it is, is if you do something so bad that you get up to heaven and you go like, hey daddy, hey God, what's going on? You know, I'm here, I know I wasn't the guy. He's like, no, I'm sorry, you're, you're, you're cut off. You know, we have nothing to do with you. You know, like, no, 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 what do you mean? Which means is there are certain sins that cut you off. You're done, you're finished. What is one example of that? If you desecrate, if you don't keep Shabbat. If you don't keep Shabbat, you're going to die, and you're, which means this world and the next world. You will get cut off. Now, the Torah doesn't say, it says if you, if you do melacha, if you do work in it. But nowhere in the Torah says what melacha is. You know, the first, imagine you go to a country, and the king over there, you know, you stop by the customs and they say, listen, there are 400 laws in here. If you do any of them, you are happy, it's a death penalty. They're like, wow, that's, that's crazy. You guys do death penalty still? And they're like, yeah. Um, and one of them is women are not allowed to drive. Uh, you, right, whatever. Um, and they say it's a death penalty, whatever, with these 400 laws. They're like, okay, what can I do? I'm here now. Um, can you tell me these 400 laws? Nope. Go figure it out. You know, like, what? Well, you're telling me that it's a death sentence, but you're not telling me what it is. The Torah is telling you, if you don't keep Shabbat, you're gonna, it's a death sentence. But it doesn't tell you what, what does it mean, keep Shabbat? What does that mean, keep Shabbat? How does that make sense? Torah Tashem Tamima, it's a perfect Torah. How can you say that the Torah is perfect when you have over here that says if you do melacha, what is melacha? Is melacha work? Work equals force times distance. Is that what work is? 
How do you know what work is? How do you know what you're supposed to do if the Torah doesn't tell you? Rather, there must be, it, it, it does not make any sense whatsoever that it does not have an explanation to the Torah. It has to be. How could you, how could you even begin to understand it? It says in Deuteronomy, chapter 12, verse 21. It says like this. It says, you may slaughter your cattle. Like I have commanded you. Which means is, you could, you have, you're able to eat animals, certain animals, and you have to do a specific type of slaughter. How do you do that slaughter? Like I have commanded you. Yet, the problem is, is that in all 24 books of Tanakh, there says nothing about how to slaughter an animal. But the Torah says, like I commanded you. What does it mean? You guys are with me? I can see, by the way, who has ADHD? Or ADD, right away. It's very simple. So, you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> so, so, but, it's, you know, my Friday night classes, my Friday, my Friday night classes, it's, so, when you walk into the place, you have to walk up a flight of stairs. So, I'm speaking, and you hear a door open. And then, like, I almost can't even speak for, like, the next, like, tw- you know, 30 seconds, because, and it's like, you have to lean over to see it. The door opens, the entire group is just like this. And like, you know, and it's like, it's not like, the guy comes in, everybody's looking at him, right? Everybody's looking at him. And I'm like repeating the same things like three times around because I see no one's, no, no one's with it. But it's something so fascinating. But you know what's something also, you know what's something also that's, that's you know, that's very fascinating is, is no matter whatever I hold in my hand, your eyes are going to follow this thing. Right, you, I, it doesn't even mean anything, but your eyes are automatically attracted to it because I'm looking at you. Because I'm looking at. It. I'll tell you something else. If it's on, if it's there's light, forget about it. Your eyes are attracted. You know, you make fun of flies. You know how the fly traps are. Fly traps are because they're lights. You're like, what a stupid fly. Why are you going towards the light? Have you ever drove and there's an ambulance driving the road? Try not looking at that light. You're like, oh come on. You know, like, oh, you know, like, like why am I, why am I looking at the lights? You know, what am I so attracted to the lights? The answer is it attracts, it attracts attention. What? I'm saying we, we, you know, yeah, I'm saying we're fly, yeah. Don't always go to the light is what I'm saying. Um, the, well, depends, I guess, on how old you are. I don't know. Okay, so, um, but, uh, very few people got that. Okay, so that was very morbid. All right, so, no, but it's very interesting. You know why? Because this is how marketers work. This is how um, people in the advertising business, this is how they work. Especially, especially in women's clothing. How do you know if a wo- there are certain women's clothing that they'll have letters in certain places? Now, why do you have letters? You know, a guy's going to be like, no, I was just reading, you know, your note on your, you know, chest. And, uh, you know, I'm just like, you know, reading the information that is presented, you know. Sorry. Why do they have it? And not only that, they bedazzle it with... Grindstones? Grindstones? <laughs> Rice. They're the bizarre with shiny objects, right? I don't know, I give up. Shiny things. Why? Because shiny things attract the eye. That's why you have somebody that wears hot pink, the eye attracts to it. It's, it, you know, because it's, it's something that sticks out and something that, that, you know, that it attracts to it. So, um, and, and it takes, and this is instinct. This is not like something. It's true, yeah. The neon colors, right? That's why some people have fish that are the you know when I used to have a fish tank, um, I still love I you know I still love uh, you know having fish. Why? Because you when you look at a fish tank, this is their world. 
You know, like this is the whole world. It gives you a really bigger picture of things. So if you have any other animal, um, it's, it's, it lives in the world that you, that you live in as well. But you have other animals, but, but a fish, this is it. This is where they, and they have like a castle. They got, you know, the bubble making thing, you know, the, the windmill going, you know, going on over there, you know, and, and they just, they just swim around the same, you know, I don't know, 30 inches for the whole life. And you're looking at that, you know, it really makes you, it really makes you appreciate life. You know, let's say somebody lives in a, you know, 500 square foot, you know, studio apartment. And, you know, they're like, wow, you know, like, I can't believe I'm such a... Buy a fish tank and look at what the fish have to deal with. The fish, literally, they're, they're, they're swimming all day. You know, they're so bored. They sleep with their eyes open. You know, like, they're not... Well, that's not because they're so bored. Well, they have a very short memory span. That's because the movies tell you that. Um, uh, what is it? That goldfish have a three-second memory span? Here. Somebody go and look it up. Uh, you know, you know. I don't want to do it right now. Look it up. See if it. See if it. I don't think it's true. Um, I don't think goldfish have a three-second memory. Sense. Then why are they? Yeah, it does make sense because I mean, you think about that. That's like somebody like, oh wow, look at this tunnel. Oh wow, look at this tunnel. Oh wow, look at this tunnel. You know, that's a great life to live. You know, it does say three seconds. The memory span of goldfish is three seconds. It's true. Oh, it's not true. I'm not talking about Finding Nemo, all right? All right. Oh, no. So, the myth that fish have short memories have been debunked by researchers. Five months. Five months memory span. Look at that. You know how, you know why I think that? You know why, what made me think that? That when you have, why are we speaking about fish things? I have no idea. Okay. But um, we're on it already, so we're going full force on this. Um, if you have a fish tank, it's something very interesting that my uncle, my uncle loves fish like he breathes fish like he has different fish tanks you know like in you know when i he lives in israel so when i go visit him he's like he's like come check out my fish that i have you know over here and he has this fish tank and this fish tank and there's something very interesting that if you put your hand over there they follow your hand if they know that they're going to they're going to be fed how do they know that if they have a three second memory span how do they even test this thing how do they know these things hey fish hey fish hey 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 you know come on come on focus focus what do we have over here? What do we have over here? Right? You know, it's like, how, how do they even, how, you know, like, it, 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 do they attach little, you know? Human attention span is seven seconds long. Six seconds long, depending on the human. Right? Americans, very low. Um, anywhere else out of the, you know, you know, you know, the world, you know, generally a little bit, uh, uh, you know, longer. You know, why do I say six, seven seconds? Because there was a, there was a, or there was a, co- there was a company that made this program that had videos for six or seven seconds. I think they, I don't know, they, they're not longer anymore. They're the Vine. So you have the Vine. So they have, is my man not pronouncing right? Just Vine. So Vine has six seconds. And when I first heard about this, I'm like, who, six seconds? How could you just, like, my introduction to a class takes me 30 minutes. Like, how do you even start something, a full thing for six, seven seconds? And the answer is that they did some sort of research. And this is, like, the attention span that we're dealing with nowadays. And it's really crazy. It's really, it's very sad. Oh, it's very sad. It's very sad. Because, you know, you want to know how you know if you have a short attention span? Look how we got. We got from oral law to the goldfish to the fish to to attention span. And we're going to speak about YouTube now. YouTube in, uh, you know, YouTube, um, uh, um, you know, uh, the, so it, it, you know, when you, when you get, st- get stuck in the, in the web of the YouTube, uh, you sort of get stuck there for, I don't know, 
72 hours usually, you know, you come out, you know, like a man is like not shaven, it's like starving, you know, he's been starving for the, like what happened? But like, I don't know, I just I just wanted to, you know, search some stuff how to do Excel, you know, and you know, I was watching how they built stuff in Cambodia, you know, I know how I got there. I know how to fly a plane though, you know, I, I think, you know, they have a 10 minute video and I saw Kim Kardashian's house, you know, so, you know, it's like you start over there, you go, you go over there, you watch a four-second video, and, and then they come in the suggested video, be like, you might be interested in monkeys, you know, dancing with bananas. I, w- I will be interested in monkeys. Yes! And you click on the monkeys, you know, dancing with bananas. And then, you know, you're watching the monkeys are, you know, whatever I said before, something with dancing with bananas, and all of a sudden, you see, like, you know, is the world really round? I don't know, is it? You know, and you read it, and you click it. And then you go, what's the deepest part of the ocean? I don't know, what's the deepest part of the ocean? Meanwhile, seven hours go by, you don't know how, how, if the world is round, because you only watch the first four seconds of it until you click something else, until you click something else, until you click something else, until you click something else. And what have you watched for the entire time? Advertisements, right? Kaching for, you know, YouTube, Google, whatever it is. It's smart, I'm not saying it's not, you know, it's smart, uh, but uh, we look at our attention spans. We look at, you know, the idea, you know, you have people that start listening to a shiutuah. Like, ah, not interested. You know, they say, um, public speaking 101, uh, one of the things that you should do is start off with a joke. If you realize, I don't do that. I don't do that, you know, I, I say my jokes, I don't know, throughout the, you know, the, the entire you know, time. Um, why do they say start off with a joke? Because then it gets people interesting, so they'll stay tuned in. Could you stop running Yeah, usually they space out after that. That's what they say. They say also, um, I think I heard this from our official shachter. Official shachter is like this. He says, um, a joke, you have to wait a year until you repeat it. A story, six months until you repeat it. If you're saying Dvar Torah, you can repeat it twice in the same class, no one's going to realize it. You know, because <laughs> people don't even listen. You know, people come over there and they go, you know. And, and this is where it comes into also when people say that I speak very fast. Generally, I have yet to hear, I've never heard one person in class that told me I speak so fast. Where do they tell me I speak so fast? When they listen to it online. When you're in class, for some reason, it's not so... And I've spoken to like Russian people that barely speak any English, you know, like... Like, everything is like, you know, and I'm like, afterwards, I'm like, you understood it? Like, yeah, yeah, perfectly fine. I'm like, this is like, English is not even a second language. It's like the third language, right? They speak like English, you know, Russian, Yiddish, you know, you know, and then it's like English, you know, like, you know, combination of all three of them into, into one. So where do people have a hard time following when I'm speaking very fast? When you're doing few other things at one time, you can listen to a Torah class online just by listening to it. Come on, no. You know, you're playing, you know, games, uh, you know. Snake, I know, I know I'm bad. Um, Candy Crush, I know it's not anymore. It's not new anymore, right? What's the new game now? I need to know. There's no games now? There's no more Pokemon Go? Fortnite. 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 Okay, so let's say you're playing Fortnite. Is this a, like a... Okay, is this like building colonies and like selling cattle and something like that? Okay. Oh, it's fighting people. Yeah, it's going to produce harmony in the, in the world. That's good. Um... Ah, yeah, it's always good when you have like 13-year-olds murdering people in cold blood with just like stabbing them. Oh, let's make it more realistic so you can see the veins pulsing out the blood. You know, that? <laughs> good job, good job, PlayStation. Be like, thank you. Hey, little Johnny, you know, like, yeah. you want to learn how to be a sniper? Yeah, yeah. Why don't you uh, go assassinate the president today? You know, like, you know, okay, you know. 
you know, happy bar mitzvah, you know, and this is what they, you know, this is what we're, like, why is it so violent nowadays? Why are so many people on drugs? Why are so many people depressed? I don't know, because maybe when they go into the fantasy world, they're drawing a Ferrari while murdering people, and they have a bunch of girls that are sitting naked and, you know, in their car at the same time. Um, anyways, <laughs> right? Going back to the topic at hand, um, which is goldfish, right? That's, that's what we're dealing with. Um, so, uh, okay. Is goldfish, goldfish kosher? Yes. Never ate goldfish. Good, Bochasan. Okay. Um, that is... Um, okay. So, uh, i got to live as a cliffhanger. I'm not going to tell you you eat your goldfish or you're not going to eat your goldfish. I don't know. Oh, we don't know. No, no, no. We, we do know. So, I'll tell you like this. It has to have fins and it has to have scales. Do you want... Whatever. Okay, let's move on. Okay. Um, the, I have a recipe. Uh, Okay, never mind. So, I'm just kidding, I'm joking. Um, Okay, so, the, where are we? Oh, okay, oral law, right? Oral law is, uh, okay, we're speaking about slaughtering animals, right? Slaughtering animals, it says in Deuteronomy, in in Deuteronomy, in the volume, chapter 12, verse 21, it says that you need to go and you slaughter it like I have commanded you, meaning that I have commanded you this before or somewhere else I have commanded you and just go follow it. Yet we look in all the verse, all the psukim, in all the twenty-four books of Tanakh, we don't find anything in how I commanded you. So what does this mean? It says over here in the Torah that I, you go and you ask this to the um, to the Christians, to the Gentiles. What does this mean? You're telling me over here that the Torah says the Torah is right, the Torah, the written Torah is true. How do you explain this? They don't. They, there's no way to explain it other than the fact that there must be some oral law attached to it. It also says in Shmuel chapter fourteen, verse thirty-four, you should slaughter with this. What's this? You know, what's this? It does, it's just slaughter with this. As if, you know, when you're saying, and you should take this, means that you know what I'm talking about. What are you talking about up here? It's talking about a slaughter knife. The Gemara in Chulim, page 17b, it says that it's referring to a knife that's properly checked for sharpness. We know when you have to slaughter an animal, the knife has to be checked between each slaughter. It can't have any nicks in it. It has to be very, very smooth. Why? Because this is less pain... Well, one of the reasons is because it's less painful for the animal. For all those uh, animal lovers over there, out there, and by the way, you should be, because it's Tzar Balachayim. It's not a bad thing to, to love animals. Uh, you should, because you're not allowed to go and you're not allowed to um, you know, harm any animal. And, but the way that the Torah says, even though you're allowed to eat animals, but when you slaughter them, you have to slaughter them in the most humane way possible. Uh, yeah? Yeah, so tell them, tell the lettuce eaters, um, that, that it do, there are also studies that lettuce and, and all the vegetables also have, you know, feelings. And also they, they have studies on that. That they attach them. So then and what do you say about that? You should not eat any, you know, they should not eat anything. Yeah, granted, there's no humane way, but sh- is there any humane way to like destroy a plant? Like, who are you to destroy a, you know, a plant? And, you know, in fact, when you're, when, when you're eating animals, you really are a vegetarian because you're eating animals that just eat vegetables. So the animals are what they are. So you really, you know, if you really put the circle in there, it's really, you know. Um, I think also like with Moshe Rabbeinu and the Evan, so it also shows that, hey, I know that there's a lot of impartiality, but like basically saying that even the Evan had feelings. Like he, Saturday, right. whatever, that he was careful with something that's a domain. So, like you're saying, everything can have feelings. Everything does. And they, have, and they have proven that. And I was thinking about actually putting this in my Torah and science class, but I didn't put it in because I needed a lot of graphs and charts and I didn't have the time to do it. But they had done scientific research where they saw how things affect plants. How you speak to it affects your plant. Mm-hmm. 
If you go and if you curse at your plant, it's not going to come out the same as if you speak nicely to it. If you read Tehillim to it, then it's not going to be, you know, it's, it's going to be completely different. It grows healthier when it, when it comes out to it. You know, so, um, well, they don't read, read two plants, but they read, if they, they've done a study, the Israel done a study where one of them, they read Tehillim near a plant and it grew much higher. And then they had another, another, you know, plant that was, there was like just a vulgar language and mean language and cursing and things like that. Yeah, yeah, it could be, whatever it is. And by the way, it's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think the Chassam Sofer says that it actually affects the rainwater. The, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly, that the way that you speak actually affects everything. Like it comes out into the world, it affects, it's a whole cycle. We're all interconnected to, like, to such an extent that we have absolutely no clue on actually how interconnected we actually are. To, to, to the, really, like, I can't even begin to even like, explain to you Everything that you do, it, it matters on like every, in a, like a whole world scale. Like even the quality of the water that comes down. So, the, um, when you're dealing, let's say for example, circumcision. Circumcision is another proof. It says that you have to circumcise what? The oral law. Extra skin. Maybe it means this, the earlobe. Maybe it means right over here, some extra skin over here. Maybe it means fingernail. Like what makes you think that circumcision should be that? In fact, the last thing that any man would say it should be would be that. Like it doesn't say in the written in the written Torah where you should where you should cut. And yet everybody does it. Even the reform, even the conservative that deny deny they deny so much they deny even the written Torah for crying out loud. But yet why do you circumcise over there? Who says it's like that? If maybe, maybe it's made up. Start circumcising your eyelashes. You know? And the eighth day you cut the kids' eyelashes. And that's it. You know, why is it that they all do that? How do we know this stuff? It must be, it's, it's in the oral law. You have, uh, anybody here know what totafot are? Totafot. Very good question. Yeah. Totafot has, it says over there in Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 8. Baha'yu We say it every day for Shema. Oh, it should be for Tfilin, right? It's Tfilin. Yeah, I'm used to to whatever, different pronunciation, like what is that? Totafos. Totafos. Totafos, yeah. Um... You know, it's very, yeah. Oh, no, let's not get into it. Okay. The, what's interesting is that this, this word doesn't appear anywhere else in the Torah. How do we know Totafot tot- tot- means what it means? How do we know that? There must be some sort of oral tradition, something very interesting. All tefillin are all the same. No matter where you go, they're all exactly the same. How do we know? How do we know that tefillin are only meant to be worn in the day, for example? How do we know that it's supposed to be on your hand, on your arm? Well, that we know. That's actually an easier one to say. How do we know that it's men and not women? I'm sorry for the people off the wall, the women off the wall, the woman on the wall. What is it, the, you know, the woman of the wall? Whatever it is, the woman that we're chilling, right? Or off the wall, right? Um, that um, they go, and how do you know that tefillin is really meant just for men and not for women? Now, granted, I know, okay, fine, you get Raji's daughter, is it worth, okay, fine. Different scenario, different generation, not for, for now. I guarantee you, the people that, the pictures that I've seen of the woman that we're chilling are not allowed to wear chilling, just by the way that they're dressed. You know, you realize that you have to be, and this is something actually very important. Um, if you have, let's say, some people have a, uh, um, a Kabbalistic blessing for the house, and it says God's name on it, you know you're not allowed to get undressed in front of that? You're not allowed to walk on not modest, you know, in front of it? If you have Sfarim in the house, you're not allowed to walk around, you know, not modest in there? Yeah. What if you have some bedroom? I, I don't have, I don't have Sfarim. They have to have it double covered. You can't have it open. You're not allowed to get undressed. Pajamas, as long as you're tzniyas, then yeah, as long as you're covered, you can't change into pajamas in front of that. Not men, not women. Um, not allowed to change in front of in front of svarim. And this is where people get you know people get confused. You know, like for example, I have svarim in, in my you know near my nightstand. I have a, a bunch of svarim that are usually piled up up there. But I have everything always covered. Usually, it should be better. It should be double covered because if people get changed in the you know in the bedroom, you can't have it like that. You know, and people you know, I had a woman that once uh, brought me. Ugh, 
I don't know, like eight pages of like posters of stuff that are heavy Kabbalistic stuff, like heavy, heavy Kabbalistic stuff. And, and I'm like, where do you put this? I'm like, I don't know, all over my house. And I know that she wasn't dressing modest. Why? Because she came into the synagogue not dressed modest. So I'm like, don't put it in your house. It's not going to be good for you. She wasn't religious. I'm like, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be more, it's going to be worse for you than beneficial for you to put this in your house. Because you're going to cause problems to yourself. You can't be immodest in front of these books. She has Kabbalistic books that she bought from some, you know, fake Kabbalist, you know, they gave it to her and sold it for, for a ton of money. I'm like, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Hide it. Sell it. Do it. Give it to somebody else. You're, you, you want to keep it? That's something else. But you got to dress 100% modest. What's your summer house? Stuff, no, it doesn't matter. Sfarim also. Sfarim, you have to be modest in front of them. You can't change. Kabbalistic, the reason why is it was posters. It has actually God's name printed on it. Uh, you know. So even though Sfarim is closed, they still have to be. Here's a very important thing. Yeah, if you have Sfarim, what if you have a baby and you want to change a diaper? And it's in the, you know, the, it's in the delivery room. And there's farm up there. You should change the, you should change the baby away from the, you know, from the, you know, from this farm. You have to be very, very careful on these things. It actually, you know, cause, it could cause, you know, Problems, yeah. So, um, okay. So anyways, how do we know? So you have these women of the wall. Who said that you were supposed to, a woman's supposed to wear it? Maybe a man. How do you know when it's feeling in the Torah? It doesn't say just for men, not for women. It doesn't say all these things. How do we know all these laws? Rather, there must be some sort of oral tradition, oral law. Says the Rambam. Says that every commandment, it was brought and was given to, to by God to Moshe, was given with an explanation. For example, sukkah. It says that you have to go and live in a sukkah. Right? Not only does it say that, it says how off, how long you have to do it, for how many days, how high the sukkah has to be, what type of material the walls could be, what type of materials the schach, the roof has to be. Who has to sit in it? It's a man and not the woman. Now, someone who's sick is, 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 it doesn't have to. Somebody who's traveling doesn't have to. Has all the laws and all the criteria were given to Moshe Rabbeinu when he got the Torah. It wasn't just here it is and that's it and go, you know, and, and go figure it out. All the laws were brought together and, and, you know, brought into it. Granted, we will speak about that there are 13, you know, Shosh Esai Midosh Atar and Dash Behem, which we'll speak about in a different where we have laws that are derived. But in generally, the laws of the Torah was brought in with explanation. It tells you the, 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 the law and tells you how to actually go and how to, uh, and how to uh, follow it. A talk. How do we know it's an a talk? It says in Vaikra, in Leviticus, chapter 23, verse 40. It says that you have to, Lakachten Lachem Biyom Malishon Priet Hadah. A pre-eitz hadal. Hadal generally means a beautiful, a, a beautiful fruit from a, from a tree. How do we know it's, a, it's an esrog, a citron? How do we know that? Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's whatever you think is beautiful. So somebody will say a banana is the most beautiful thing. So he'll go with a banana and a nulav and a tasim and a, you know, the aravot. He'll go with that and a banana. And this guy says, no, it's a pomegranate. And he takes a pomegranate and he goes and he goes. And this guy goes, no, it's a peach. This guy will go, no, he's a Yemenite. He's going to go with a watermelon, right? He's going to go with a watermelon. He's going to hold the watermelon together with it. And he says, no, this is the beautiful, this is the beautiful thing. How do you know, how do we know it's in a talk? Where do we know it's from a talk? In fact, if you go to any Messianic, Christian, doesn't matter, anybody that does a lulav and a talk on Sukkot, always uses it in a talk. Maybe it's a lemon. Very similar. How do we know that it's a talk? It doesn't say anywhere in the written Torah about that it is a citron. It says, How do we know that? Must be that there is, a, there is an oral, there is something else that had to come with it in order to explain it. It says in Vayikran, Leviticus, chapter 26, verse 46. It says, Eilu hachukim v'hamishpatim v'hatorot. This, these are the statutes and the ordinances. And the Torahs. Torahs pure, plural. That God gave between Him and the Jewish people. It says, 
it says over here, and I'll read it again. Elo achukim v'mishpatim v'hatorot. Torot is plural. What's, what's plural? What's two? The two? It says over here two, which means more than two. Says the Sifra, in Pashat Bukhukotai, this teaches that there was two Torahs given. One that was written, and one that was oral. Ah, but maybe the New Testament believers say, ha ha, you see over here, new Torah. Two Torahs. You know what it is? The New Testament and the Old Testament. Maybe that's what it, maybe that's what it, what it, uh, maybe that's what it really means. But to answer that, you just continue with the same verse. It says what? That God gave to Moshe and Har Sinai. Did God give the New Testament to Moshe and Har Sinai? No. How do we know that? Well, it just, you know, I, well, I don't even have to ask that question. We just know that. It's just obvious. It's just like, you know, the encyclopedia, you know, was not written, you know, 4,000 years ago. It was written recently. You know, it's just a very, very obvious. In fact, the New Testament contradicts the Old Testament, which means that they couldn't have been given at the same, you know, period of time. So you have over here that people say, ah, I see over here two Torahs, two Torahs, one the New Testament, one the Old Testament. These are people that are manipulating the words and changing it to fit the, their requirements, whatever they want. Rather, this means that it has to be that there were two things that were given by, by God to Moshe on Harsinai. By Harsinai, which means that there was an oral law and there was a written law given together with it. The oral law, you think of it, is, is notes to the written, the written law. Imagine you're in, you're in college. Anybody here in a school? Oh, wow. Anybody here not in school? Case in point. Okay, so there's about 12, 15 people that are just not sure if they're in school or not in school. So, <laughs> well, that means not in school. So um, I love doing that because whenever I ask those questions, you always have the majority of people don't raise their hands because no one wants to be wrong, which I hear that. You know, that's fine. Um, that, you know, well, there's no. All right, let's try this one more time. <laughs> Who here is in school? And who here is currently in school? Who here is no longer in school? Okay, not bad. All right, not bad. All right, you got majority. All right, so when you have been in school, let's say you missed a day. You go and you go to your friend and be like, can I borrow your notes? Right, and you look at those notes. Generally, can you understand those notes? No. Most likely. First of all, you know, I don't know, I'm assuming if you're dealing with it, you have like hearts and like, you know, stars. Mr. and Mrs., you know, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, like some wealthy guy, you know, like last name. Uh, we're like, well, yeah, that does, uh, you know, sound like a ring to it. You have like a nice picture of a diamond, you know, 17 carats, you know, right next to the one carat diamond, just carats, just, you know, pictured over there. And so, yeah, a nice so dress, you know, and then you have, you know, like, you know, spring wedding would be good, you know, like, uh, um, so when you look at the notes, you're like, how do you go on, how do you understand this? You know, you, it says over here something and you have no clue what it means. And then it says, you know, four, and then they skip like seven lines. Yeah, why do people do that? They're writing a note, and then they skip like four lines to the bottom and they write something else. And then they turn over and then they continue writing it as if they're going to go back and really write anything in that, in that space, right? So you go over there, you don't understand it. What, you, the notes, you have to go and you have to say, okay, can you explain this to me? When they sit together with them, be like, okay, this is what the teacher said, this is what the professor said, so on and so forth. Imagine you, um, you go uh, to a, you want to hire a lawyer, the best lawyer. And the guy tells you, yeah, like this guy, he graduated from Harvard. This guy is unbelievable, the best lawyer. And um, you go and you meet with this lawyer and the lawyer says, you know, you, know, you go to the lawyer and he says, you know, I'm really impressed. You know, you went to Harvard. And the lawyer is like, well, I studied the books that they give in Harvard. They're like, well, what do you mean? Be like, well, you know, my, you know, my wife went to Harvard. Um, I'm a genius, so photogenic memory. I memorized all her books. Right? So, like, technically, you know, I practically went to Harvard. Like, I know everything. Would you take that lawyer? You should not take that lawyer. You should go to the guy that went to Brooklyn College. Nothing against Brooklyn College, you know. <laughs> probably on, like, very, very close level for Brooklyn Law and Harvard Law. You know, just, like, you know, fairly close. 
we don't want to go and to, uh, you know, hurt anybody's feelings. Um, uh, that, uh, you know, but you rather take somebody that actually went to law school, passed the bar, and actually is practicing as a lawyer, you know, legitimately. You wouldn't take somebody that just based off just the information. Let's say you go to a doctor, right? And the doctor, you know, I don't know, he went to the best medical school, you know, you know, in the world. And uh, probably in England somewhere, right? So, because uh, you know them brighter because they speak very intelligent. Right? And they have the dentistry is becoming very popular over there because the English are now fixing their teeth. So, um, so you see, like, some, like, not everybody gets my jokes. All right, okay, good. So, um, my humor is very odd. I don't know if you've got to figure that yet. Very odd humor. All right, so, because most of the joke is in my head. So, if you're in my head, you understand it. If you're not, you're not, you know, I'm sorry. You know, um, so, in the old... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Should I, I, I should, I'm like thinking, I'm like, I'm like almost going into a routine about, you know, about the pubs in England, you know, a pint of beer, you know, like, okay, fine, let's move on, let's, you know, we already spoke about goldfish, we don't speak about, uh, you know, English teeth, okay, nothing against the English teeth, you know, some of my best friends are English, you know, uh, speaking, but I have also friends in England, no, I'm kidding, I have some very, very good friends from England, and I have to be, when I was in yeshiva in, in Israel, um, you know, one of my closest group of friends were actually, were actually English uh, speaking, which is ridiculous. The first time that you speak to them, you don't understand what they're talking about. Because, I mean, they speak English, but the words are different. They're very, 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 very different. Um, I, you know, like, I can't even say this on camera, but you know how do you say a cigarette in England? Does anybody know how to say a cigarette in England? All right, I'm not going to say that. Um, a, a torch is a flashlight. No, a torch is a flashlight. You know that? If you have somebody from England that says, do you want a torch? You know, don't get excited. I'd be like, like you, you have a torch? Like, how is that even legal? Like, like yeah, of course, of course we have a torch. How are we supposed to see it in the night? I'm like, can I, can I see your torch? You know, like, I'm thinking they have this, like, big wooden log, you know, like, you know, over here, and they light it up, and they'll be like, you know, Herbert, are you there? You know? Nobody's ringing the bell. You, you think of it, you know, like, but a torch is a flashlight over there, you know? And there's so many words. It took me, it took me a while to actually, um, you, know, uh, you know, catch on. Especially if you get people from Manchester, you know, they get the, like, the really, the, the, like, the heavy English accent. You feel like almost you understand a different language. Like, you know, like, be like, whoa, I understand you, you know, like. And like, yeah, of course you're on, why did you, on, uh, they're like, oh, you know, like, you think I speak fast, right? So, um, I have had to be, I have a very, very close Australian friend, right? I don't know, yeah. I have a very close Australian friend, right? Um, and, you know, like, and, and it's something very, very interesting that's when you go, that's a very interesting, so you see, like, English sounds smart, yeah, Australian sounds fun. Americans sound dumb. You know, like, I, listen, that's just the way it, I, I, you know, I'll agree. You know, like, Americans, I mean, come on, you're going to be sitting somebody and be like, you know, like, yeah, well, you know, you go to a mechanic, be like, well, listen, you know, you're going to have to change, you know, your thermostat inside over there, you have a radiator going on over there, it's going to cost you, you know, you know, I don't know, a grand. And be like, you know, and then you start, are you sure? But then imagine you have a guy be like, well, let me tell you something, you know, 
you've got here something over here that's, you know, it's not working. You've got a radiator over here that's completely bashed up. It's completely rocking. It's not even working everywhere. Uh, don't worry about it. I ordered a new one from England. Don't worry about it. I got the best, the best. We got the best going on. And you go over there and you'd be like, well, you know, yeah, how much do I owe you? 1,500 pounds? Sure. You know, like, of course, they sound smarter. I don't know why. Maybe because they're, they're like foreign. I don't know. But Australian, they sound fun. Hey, mate, you want to come put your head in a crocodile? They'd be like... Now I do, yes. I really want to put my head in a crocodile. There's a reason why that, what was the guy's name? Crocodile Dundee. Crocodile Dundee, right? Yeah, Crocodile Dundee. This guy, you know, like, you have an American guy saying, okay, we're going to get really close to this vicious, you know, python. You know, we're going to let him wrap around a little bit. This boa consistor, he's just going to give me a hug. And be like, you are crazy. You are, you need to be in, in an institution. But if you have a guy be like, all right, guys, you want to come in an adventure? All right, follow me. All right, I'm going to get a hug from this boa constrictor. It's going to be so lovely. And be like, I want a hug from a boa constrictor too, you know? Watch me put my head in this crocodile. He is not going to bite because we love each other. You know, be like, be like, I love a crocodile too. You know, like, it's just a fun, it's just a different, it's just a different vibe that you get. Um, you know, you know, from it. Um, what is wrong with you guys today? Like, why can't you stay on topic? Like, don't you want to go home tonight? Like, I don't understand. Like, a bad influence on me. All right. Let's say you're going to go on an airplane, right? You're going to go on an airplane. You have two options. You could go to the guy who created, he is the head engineer in Boeing, right? Uh, Boeing is a, airplane manufacturer, right? He is the guy who, he builds airplanes, never flew once in his life. Then you have, uh, then you have another, then you have another uh, possible, you know, pilot. This guy flew 4,000 hours, but I'm saying like, this guy just barely passed this flight. You know, like, you know, he was going, getting over through, you know, like huge problems in his life, you know, alcohol, whatever it is. He had problems. He just, like a C minor, whatever is passing, right, in flight school. Um, he just passed it. He, like, started off with the propeller, you know, the airplane that you have to actually, like, run and, like, give a push to the propeller. And then he runs onto the plane, puts on his goggles and his scarf that's flying. And, you know, like that airplane. And then, he, you know, but he has 4,000, you know, hours of flight. You have two options to have your, your pilot. You have this guy, you know, Inspector Gadget over here, or you have the, you have, uh, you know, the guy who is the, you know, the brilliant, you know, you know, Edgar guy who went and built uh, the airplanes, but never flew it once. Who do you pick? The guy that flew it, even though the guy built it, like he knows the buttons, right? Have you ever seen a cockpit? You're like, oh, like, what is going on over here? Like, how do you even know? It, really, they're like, oh, we just press one. It's like autopilot. You know, we just, you know, we don't have to do anything anymore. Um, but you, you would pick the guy that actually experienced that went through it. Imagine the difference. And why am I telling you all these things? I don't know where I got with Australia and England. Like, forget about that. That's irrelevant to, uh, um, well, maybe not. You know why? Because, because... You know, the way that you say things makes a difference. The way that you learn Torah also makes a difference. The way that you actually go and you verbalize things makes a complete difference. The, you have people that learn Torah with excitement, they understand it. Right? You learn Torah with an Australian, it's fun. Right? You learn Torah with an Englishman, you feel like you're in your professor. You, know? you, you learn Torah with an American, you'll be like, I don't think you know what you're talking about. Right? So, uh, you know, it depends who's your rabbi, right? Maybe you should get Australian rabbis, I don't know. Right? But again, Israeli rabbis, that's how you know it's the legit, you know, let's say you know it's legit. If, you know, if an Israeli rabbi is teaching you something, you know you have to listen because everything he's saying is perfect. Everything is exactly from the Holy Land. You must be true. It must be 100% accurate. Okay, so... Um, 
I was very, I went to France. I did go to France. And you know what? In my mind, I'm like, let's go French right now, right? I'm not going there. Okay. 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 All right. We covered a lot of languages. We have, we have. Yeah. So Bulgarians, right? No, I'm kidding. Okay. So, all right. So now, the, when you're dealing with, when you're dealing with, um, when you're dealing with the, the Torah, you have two ways to learn it. Imagine the Torah was written as an encyclopedia. It's books on a shelf. You take it down, you read it, and that's it. What, you wouldn't have any connection to it. The Torah had to be written orally. There had to be, a, it's a very, very important that it was written orally, and now we're going to explain why it had to be written orally. If you would have just gone and just studied from the books, you would, first of all, everybody would understand it differently. This person will take it in a different way, this person will take it a different way. If it's oral, it must be, it has to be, it has to be brought down from rabbi to student, rabbi to student, rabbi to student, for generations to come. Meaning that the student is going to be learning from the rabbi. He's going to know how to learn. He's going to need to learn how to learn. The rabbi is going to direct him. What if you have any questions? What do you have any problems? What do you have anything? And it's the same idea of imagine someone's going to medical school without actually going to medical school, just studying the books. Somebody that's learning how to fly a plane by just learning the books. You don't want that. You want someone that built through the experience. That's the rabbi to student relationship. That's the rabbi in order to know and for, know for sure that the, continu- that the, the Torah that we have today is what we got from the time of Har Sinai is the only way is to have it oral. Because if it was only written, it would have been lost. It would have miscommunicated. What happens when the Jews got uh, you know, sent out to exile? Or they, all the books were burnt? We knew by heart. We knew by heart. We didn't need this. We, did, we didn't need it. The, um, you know, you have even the written law, but even the oral law is, is written in shorthand. And Rabbi Victor Miller says, you know, you have, you open up a Gemara. You shouldn't because you're a woman. But let's say somebody opens up a Gemara. Oh, why should a woman learn Gemara? Okay, you know what? Let's not get into that. Um, we went through enough off topics, things that right now. The, um, if you go and you open up a, a Gemara, you have over there, it says, you know, Amarava. Rava says, one and a half line, which means Darash Rava. Rava went, he went, biggest rabbi, 2,000 years ago. Gets up, well, 1,500 years ago. Get 1,400 years ago. 1,300 years ago, if you want to be accurate. Right? Gets up and he wants to say a whole lecture. Only one and a half. You think he's going to get up there and he's going to say one and a half lines and be like, I like a book, get everybody, you know, you know, like, and that's it. Finished. No, of course, it's going to be like an hour, two, three hours long lecture. But the Torah just writes it in one hour. The oral law, because it condenses it. If the oral law in itself is not all, it, it, there's so much more to it that's all oral. If you wanted to actually learn Torah, there is no way to learn it by yourself. You have to have a connection with a rabbi. You have to have it, you have to go, and I, you know, I still speak to my rabbis. You know, my, one of my rabbis told me, I shouldn't speak about certain topics. And that's why I haven't been speaking about it. I have topics that were already prepared for a very long time and I haven't spoken about it. Why? Because my rabbi said not to speak about it yet. You have to, if you go to a rabbi and you ask him, who is your rabbi? And he says, no, don't worry, I don't need a rabbi. You know, like I did, run away from him. Run away very fast. Because if you, if there's a rabbi that doesn't have a rabbi, that's not good news. Everybody needs a rabbi. No matter how great you are, the rabbi might not be alive. You may be the greatest rabbi in the world. Okay, fine. But at one point in time, you have to have a rabbi in your life. If you don't, then it's a very, very big problem. The only way to grow in Judaism and only way to grow in anything is only if you have a personal relationship and tell you, okay, here's the laws. A rabbi tells a student, here's the laws, here's the halakha. But now forget about that. What about your character trait? I saw you that you're angry. I saw you that you're screaming. I saw you were doing this. I saw you that you're doing that. The rabbis tell you a lot more. A lot of rabbis are able to tell you how to become a better person. It's not just all about the laws. If you think that the Torah is only laws, you have been greatly mistaken. To, to, to such an extent that the, you know, when you think about it, if you actually look at the Torah, the majority of it is not actually the laws. We extrapolate, you know, 613 commandments. You look at Bereshit, how much laws is in actually Bereshit? Look at Sefer HaMitzvot, all the commandments. You don't have, you know, it's, it's spread out the entire thing, but there's so much more to it than just the commandments. The, another reason why the Torah, the oral law had to be oral 
is that it would have been stolen by everybody else. Look at it now. The written Torah was taken by so many of the, so many like Christians, Islams, they've been taking it. Imagine if we had the oral law written down back then. They would have taken everything. You would have not been able to tell what's the difference between real Judaism and fake Judaism, Christianity, or, you know, even, you know, or Islam. You wouldn't be able to tell because they would have taken everything. They already would have taken it. In order to ensure the continuity of the Jewish, you know, the Jewish nation, it had to be kept oral. Now we see something very interesting. And this is my own theory. Why all of a sudden Messianic Judaism came about? fairly recently, because now the oral laws became more, more accessible to the public. There, the, you could read the Gemara online. You could, you know, everything's in English. Beforehand, they didn't know about all this stuff. All of a sudden, they're incorporating all these things because now it's becoming more accessible. Then the question is, but why is it more accessible? The answer is because unfortunately we need it. You need to have Gemara that's written in English, otherwise people are not going to be able to learn it. The majority of people are not going to be able to go and sit and learn all the Gemara. You have people learning in Yeshiva that they are, they are able to do it, and everybody should strive to go and learn, to be able to learn Hebrew, learn Lashon HaKodesh, Lashon HaGameh, without the translation. But a lot of people that are sitting and working, they're not going to be able to do that. Or if they, even if they were, they weren't able to continue that. So we need it nowadays, so we need it for the Jewish nation, but back then, we didn't have that, because you didn't need it, because it kept the... the Jewish identity as a Jewish identity. No one was able to go and no one was able to, uh, to take it. The, there's a Gemara in Erevin. And we're almost done. Uh, there's a Gemara in Erevin, chap, uh, page uh, 54b, that says like this. A, pers- a person is obligated to teach his, the, his student four times. So if you, have, if you go to a class and the rabbi keeps on repeating his thing, don't think, okay, I know this stuff already. I've had people, you know, like I say, okay, come to this class. What are you speaking about? Or what is it? Oh, he's speaking about this topic. Oh, no, I know this topic already. Oh, really? Okay, I have a question. Um, you know, and I ask one simple question about it. Oh, I don't know. Like, what? You don't know the topic. You know probably the jokes and the stories around the topic, but you don't actually know the topic. You're supposed to review everything four times, minimum four times. In order to understand something, you have to review it four times. Before I prepare a class, usually, I, you know, you're talking about it not even, well more than four times. Because you can't, by the way, one of the things for public speaking, you can't go in public speaking and go and, and, you know, and, and look at your notes the whole time. You have to use the notes as, as a guide. You, need, you, you should have it so you know the, the sources for everything, but to use it solely for that, you can't. You have to know, you have to go, you have to learn it a few times so you memorize it, so you learn it. So you'll be able to understand it, you'll be able to explain it clearly. The, the, the Gemara goes on and says, and how do we know we have to learn it four times? Because Aaron learned it four times also. And if Aaron learned it from Moshe Rabbeinu, had to learn it four times, so too the... Um, so to, so to us, the ordinary people also have to learn it four times. Rabbi Kiva says that a, that a teacher must continue to repeat the, the stuff until the student has mastered it. That's how it was. You have rabbis nowadays. There's one big rabbi that uh, he made a big siyum. How do you say siyum? Anybody know how to say siyum in English? A party, like a, what? Celebration of a finish. Let's say you finish a book, you make a celebration. So that's, you know, it doesn't sound good, right? Cele- you know, celebrating because, you know, you fin- I finished a book, you know? You have, like a, you, have a, you have a get-together, you have a little party that you finished a, a book. Now, I'm not talking about you finished Harry Potter season you know, 1, whatever it is, you know, like, okay, guys, you know, you know yes, I know Harry and... <laughs> Harry and Ron, you know, they're best friends, and they live happily ever after, you know? Like, it, it's not like, you know, that's not what a CM is. CM is, you, are, you learn a Gemara, you learn something, you learn a you learn something, and you go, and you finish something, you accomplish something, you make a, little, you make a celebration, because you should feel good about it, you finish something. There was a rabbi... Who went and he made a very, very big celebration. What was the celebration? He said he finished the, sh- the Talmud twice. Talmud is, you're talking about over 2,700 pages. That you, and it's, it takes a long time. In order to, if you want to learn one page very, very quick by somebody teaching it to you, it takes you about an hour. And that's a very, very brief overview. Forget about actually going in depth. Forget about learning by yourself. Forget about actually understanding it. So uh, he said he learned it twice. So one of the students says, Rabbi, I know for a fact I've been to more than two of your, you know, Sima Shas. You finished the entire Shas. What are you talking about? You finished it twice. 
So Rabbi says, it says that a person is supposed to learn, you know, something 101 times. He says, I finished it twice, you know. Which means is he finished it 202 times. So you have, a, you know, there are rabbis that finish these things every single year. You're talking about 270 pages, they finish it every, 2,700 pages plus. 63 trade kits that they finish every single year and they know, they know it like this. There are, there are people that they're able to go and they're able to put point in the Gemara and tell you, so let's say you have over there, it says Amma in this page. He'll say on the other side, it says Aki, and he'll be able to say what it, what, where that, that finger is on the next page, which means it's not there. It says Akiva on the next page on the same point. And you go into the next page, I'll tell you what it says, and so on and so forth. They know everything by heart because this is what they breathe, this is what they learn, this is how you learn Torah. There was once, um, I heard this from, I think, Rabbi, Rabbi David Gottlieb, if I'm not mistaken, that um, I think it was a story with Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, a giant of Torah lived in America. Um, he had somebody that was arguing with him where a certain topic was in the Gemara. And the rabbi says, it was over here, and, and the guy that came to him says, no, 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 I was just learning it, it's in this place. And the rabbi says, no, it has to be over here. And they're going back and forth, back and forth, till the rabbi says, you know what, let's go and check it up, it must be where I said it. And he takes it out, point, opens it up, and it's where he said it. So a student comes over to him afterwards, the students are always watching what the rabbis are doing. He says, I understand, rabbi, he says, why are you so adamant about knowing where exactly where the location is? Like, what's the difference? Well, let him say that it was over there. So the, so the rabbi says, says, I answer questions without looking inside. The only way that I would be able to do that is if I know exactly where every source is in the Torah. And if I found that I was, and that I did not know the exact source, I would never again be able to go and answer questions without looking inside again. That's what this rabbi was saying. This is, you know, you have these rabbis that are learning it day in and day out. Then you're dealing with rabbis that barely learned any Gemara, you know, and they come and tell you, you know, like, is it okay to do this? It's like, yeah, of course, it's not a problem, you know, marry men and men, what's the big deal? You know, like, you have rabbis that don't, you have rabbis and you have rabbis, you know, and I guarantee you, the people that are rabbis, those are the ones that they have rabbis. That was very confusing, that was like a ton of story. Okay, so, the, you know, oh, it's getting so late. No one look at your clocks, it's not late, alright? Um, Alright, so there are some people in five, ten minutes and we're done. Right? My time. Right? No, no, really, really five, ten minutes. Okay, let's go fast. So the, uh, you know, some people say, no, you know, the, the, the Talmud is outdated. You know, it's all, you're talking about in, you know, in the olden days. The Torah, the oral law, the written law, it contains the secret of the universe. It contains everything that you want in there. In, in Tanit, in Page 21b, it says over there something, it says something very interesting. There, there it says that the intestines of pigs are very similar to, the te- to, to that of humans. And there was this case in the, in the Talmud that the, there was a, a, an infection, a plague on the pigs that killed a lot of pigs. The rabbis instituted a fast. And, like, and it was like very weird, like why? Like we're not worried that people will eat pig because it's pork, it's not kosher. No one's going to eat pig. So why are they instituting a fast? In 1918, fast forward 1500 years uh, you know, after that, in 1918, there was an epidemic known as, uh, as the Spanish flu. This killed more than 50 million people. The, in 1997, they found out what, what was the cause of it. What happened was it was a virus that, started, that passed from birds to pigs and then to humans. Which, mean, which means that the rabbis knew there was some sort of connection between pigs and humans. And they said already, since then, there was, you know, there's something that happened, we need to fast. We need to, you know, because everything in the physical world has a representation in the, phys- in the spiritual world. If there's something over here, we need to go and we need to fast because it's a very similarity. They went and they went and they, and they fast for it. Dr. Uh, you know, Louis Pasteur, he created, he discovered antibodies, uh, vaccination, immunizations. Uh, you know, there are many people that have, they fight for it. Like, you know, immunizations, what causes cancer, what causes all these things. I'm not going to get into that now, but he was the one who, who found, who, who discovered these things. That there is a sefer called Mavoshe Arim that was written in his generation that says that they heard from his friend that where did he get this information from? He got this information from the Gemara. The Gemara was translated into French. 
And he went and he was able to go and he, and he was actually, he read it. And there's a Gemara over there that says about vaccination for rabies. That you take from the ra- you know, from the dog and you insert it into the person. That is a vac- that, that helps heal that. And he started thinking about that. He got into that. And then eventually he got into, a, um, you know, and he came out with the, with the vaccinations. You have also Rabbi Elezer. The first ever liposuction in history. Documented liposuction in history. Um, fat removal was Rabbi Elezer. In the time of the Gemara. In, uh, well, even before the Gemara, the, in the Gemara in Baba Mitzia, page A three B, that Rabbi Elazar was a very, the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. He was a very heavy set man. He uh, underwent surgery, and it's something very interesting. It says that they put him to sleep. They put him to sleep on a marble counter. Why on a marble counter? Marble is very good for um, to to remove any any uh, um, any bacteria. It can, you could keep it, you know, very, very sterile, very, very simply. They put him on a marble, a marble room, and they put him to sleep, and they removed fat from him. And they took out buckets of fat and they put it out over there. And this is the first, you know, actually, um, you know, and you have over here the, of the rabbis. The rabbis already, 1500, 1600, 1700 years ago, already had information that only science is coming up with right now. That only the science is going through now. The, we'll finish off with this, with this thought. The, you know, let's do a quick recap before, before we, before we finish off. We proved today, we proved today, and should be very, very, it's, this was a very, very simple class to understand. We proved today that there must be an oral law. It is impossible that there cannot be a oral law. Hey, you could say that maybe the rabbis made it up. We'll deal with that in the future classes. But to say that there's no such thing as an oral law, it's impossible because we cannot understand it. We spoke about validation. We spoke about the fact that it's impossible to understand the Torah without having any background information to it. Which means is there must be some sort of an addition. Think about it, the notes to the, to the lecture. There has to be some more, there has to be a lecture that was associated with those notes because we don't understand it without it. Commentary, perfect. Yeah, as a commentary, think of the oral law as a commentary onto, which is not great translation, but let's use that. As a commentary to the written law. It explains it in order to understand. You're not going to be able to understand it without it. Says the Rambam in Hilchot Shuva, chapter 3, that there are certain individuals that have no share in the world to come. Then not only they don't have any share in the world to come, they get cut off and they're judged forever. What are these, of this group, there are three that are, that are, that do not have any share in the world to come. Those are the people that deny the Torah. Which means is that if you say that the Torah is false, it's fake, you have no share in the world to come. Which means that even if you have questions about it, ask the questions. But don't just disregard it because that is going to ruin you for eternity. If you, if you go and you say there's no such thing as the oral law, there's no such thing as written law that's all made up, you are losing eternity. You're playing with fire over here. There are three individuals, says the Ramah, that loses their share in the world to come. They get up there, they get cut off. There's nothing to talk about. Number one, somebody who says that even one word of the Torah is not from God. Even one word of the Torah says it's not from God. Moshe made this up. Has no share in the world to come. Nothing. Dies, there's nothing. That's it. The end. Number two, somebody who denies the oral law. And this is unfortunately very common. People that deny the oral law think you'd be a good person, think you keep the oral, you know, the written law. Granted, you'll get rewarded for everything that you do. But you have no share in the world to come if you do not believe in the oral law. It is not only, it's, it's a vital to Judaism, it's impossible to understand it. But even if you don't, even if you don't think that way, if you don't believe in this, that's it. You have no share in the world to come. And the last one is somebody who nullifies the Torah. So for example, Christians or Arabs that say that this is the Torah, but God came a second one and the Torah is not any more applicable, no sheer in the world to come. That's it. It's finished. It's gone. It's finito. The, you know, it, this is not, you know, people go and people claim, yeah, whatever, okay, fine. The rabbis made it up, but I'll still be a good Jew. 
Okay, fine. Be a good person as much as you want and do as you could. You have no share in the world to come. You're talking about serious consequences we're dealing with over here. Again, if somebody doesn't believe even one word from the Torah, no share in the world to come. Somebody doesn't believe in the oral law, no share in the world to come. And somebody who says that the, the law was replaced with a different law, no share in the world to come. This is plain with fire. This you don't want to, you don't want to mess around with. Any questions? Yes. Twenty-four books of Tanakh is written Torah. No, I'm talking about like Moshe, like five books of Moses. Hashem gave to Moshe the written Torah. Yeah. And the oral Torah came after. The oral Torah came after. We didn't have any more prophecy anymore. The written Torah we had from when we had prophecy, because all those are written prophetically, however you want to explain it, maybe we'll, we'll give a class on that at one point in time. But the oral law was after we didn't have, the prophecy was no longer. The oral law was already from rabbis. Yes. Because their rabbis told them, and their rabbis told them, back to Moshe Rabbeinu. We're go- yes, the oral law was given to Moshe at Har Sinai. Yes, he got both. Correct. He got the oral law and the written law, and we only recently started. I don't know if I'm going to do next week, if I'll do a Tisha B'Av class, or if I'll do a class. If not, we're going to do the history of the oral law. Well, history of Kabbalah, history of that, very interesting. You know, the, if you're interested in history and stuff like that, very interesting class. I like it. Um... Uh, so that's what we'll speak about and how you know things came about and how, how it came into thing. Any other questions? Yeah. Um, basically, everything that we do, everything that we think, and like the way we follow our lives is based on the Torah, right? Correct. So I don't explain this, but isn't it a little bit? I kind of feel like we're almost. I don't explain this. The only explanation is that uh, one of my, someone I work with once she like asked me a question if I like um, believe that aliens exist, or for example. Or um, she asked me a question if you have a, if you would steal in order to, like, feed your starving children. And um, the only way you could really answer the question is if you knew the halakha for the answers, right? But isn't it in a way, like, it's not my own opinion, everything I do is based on whether or not it's right by the Torah? Are you asking on free will? Not really. You're more like... I'm not following the question. <laughs> You're, what? Well, I guess it's like everything I do has to be by the Torah. So it's like I don't, I don't want to say I don't get my own opinion. Well, you have the choice to listen to the Torah or not to listen to the Torah. So doesn't somebody have to just to be independent? Maybe. No, it's like for example, let's say the whole. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go there. Like the whole gay thing, right? Okay. So I'm just, I'm just gonna go with it. Go, go for it. <laughs> so, like for example, um, personally. It, like I don't see anything wrong with it, besides for the fact that the process is not allowed. That's what it's called. So it's not. It's it says like, straight out in the Torah. No. Yeah, 100%. We understand why. No, we understand why. Understand why. why? We understand why. Why it's why it's. Uh, first of all, it's abomination. You can't. The, the world cannot continue like that. So there, there's many. You know. Um, I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. I have to give a class about this one time. I have to give the whole thing. You know, you should know. Last time I spoke about it, I had to cut it. I had to cut it out. I cut it out from the class um, for for certain reasons. Yep, yep. I uploaded. I don't know if anybody heard that. I gave a whole. Uh, what was it like? A half hour. We spoke about homosexuality, and I and I cut it out. More than that. I had to, I cut out the whole thing for for particular for a particular reason. There's some things, and nothing that I said there I, I take back. But there were certain things that 
it was, I have to give a, a, a fresh class on it because certain things I could, should say out loud in public and certain things I, I should not say out loud in public. Um, but homosexuality, the reason why people have a, they don't so much, you know, have a problem with it nowadays is only because of the media. Can't help you there. Puppets. Well, you have the free will. You don't have to listen to the Torah. You do could listen to the Torah. Well, if you you're smart, then you do. Do you have to listen to the laws of the land? Do you can do you, if you want to. Can you sell drugs to children? Yeah. You could. So you, like you kind of got to listen to because otherwise you're gonna get punished for it. Uh, that's the way world. That's the way rules work. That's the way laws work. If you get married. You know, do you have to abide by the rules of marriage? You don't have to. You know, if you want to stay married. Yeah, it's the same thing. You go to society, you know, rules of society, rules of, you know, relationship, rules of, you know, the Torah. Everything works the same exact way. That's the way rules are. You can listen to it. You don't have to listen to it. No, 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 it is. It, it, everything. But then again, everything is brainwashing. Everything is brainwashing. I gave a whole class in brainwashing. Oh, you know, I didn't upload it. You know, I should give a class in brainwashing. I'll teach you how to brainwash. It's like I can't really make a decision unless I know whether or not it's allowed by the Torah. So it's a little bit like... Can you make a decision if you know if it's illegal or not legal? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. No, I'm talking about the American law. I mean, I could tell you that on anything. You, I mean, you could do something that's just illegal. If you care as being a good, upright citizen, then you're not going to do something illegal. And if you don't care, then you won't. If you're a good Jew, then you'll do something that is according to the Torah. If you don't care, then you won't do it. I mean, the same rules go the same way. You're in prison. You want to follow... Well, not you, Chastrol. Somebody's in prison. They're going to follow the rules of the prison because, you know, they don't want to get put in the, you know, hole or whatever it's called. You know, it's, it's, you want to follow the rules because you want to or you're forced to, but you're going to follow it. Do you have the free will not to follow it? Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Any other questions? Yeah. yeah. Um, if the punishment for um, doing moral contraband is death, then even if, for example, Hawkinson did, even if it was to set like a simple. Oh, different topic in itself in its entirety. Um, a whole long topic in itself. Yeah. <clears throat> there is. There's. A, it's a long topic in itself. Like, it was it last week's Parsha? Was it two weeks' Parsha? Yeah. Um, a different topic in itself. Wait, <clears throat> too long. The, the bottom line is he shouldn't have done what he done. But because uh, he got punished for it, otherwise he wouldn't, you know. Like you could again, there's people that do bad things for good purposes. That's why it says the road to Gehenna is paved with good intentions. Mm-hmm. I have a backup question. Okay. Um, my the reason I'm thinking this is that that coworker that I have, like whatever. Um, she's she said the reason one of the reasons that she doesn't believe or whatever is because she said she doesn't want to follow her life the way someone else. Is this the same one that I'm supposed to have an argument with? Oh, come on. We would have such a great time. Um, First of all, she is living her life the way that other people are. Is she paying taxes? Does she, you know, follow traffic rules? She's living in the box, you know. Come on, live outside the box, you know. Just drive as you feel free. Just do whatever you want. She's living in the other box. She doesn't want to. Not because... Which she's not... She's saying she doesn't want to follow the Torah because it's living someone else's life. She's living someone else's life. Okay, so let's say I'll ask her, then you could ask her like this. 
if let's say you think something is, um, the, according to the legal system, wherever you're living, it tells you not to do something, but you think it's right, would you go and violate it? Let's say the punishment is 20 years in prison. Oh, oh no, yeah, I wanna, I'll do what's right, because I don't think that's right. I don't care, you're living in this line, you better keep the rules or you're going to get thrown in prison for 20 years. So it depends what you think about it. Anyway, any way that you look at it, it's, you, know, you're, you have to follow the rules, whether you like it or not. Um, you know, I see a liberal mindset. Bringer, it's going to be so much fun. I'm Trust me. Trying. It's, you yeah. like, Excuses. Yeah. Nothing else other than excuses. You should know people that are not interested in finding out, it's not because they've researched everything they know, it's because they don't want to. Yeah. yeah. Then if she says that she'll feel comfortable coming in here. You know what? Let's do it like this. She make a lot of money in your work? No? I'm sorry. I'll pay her. Yeah, I'll pay her to come. Yeah. 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 This is not for anybody else in the virtual world. Well, we'll settle on the mouth and we'll pay her to come. Okay. Make her worth her while. Yeah. Text her. So, all right. Coming next month. Okay. So, every week I'm just like, I slip it into the conversation. We're working with kids. Like, we have things to do, but we just slip it in. I'll pay her, but one condition. If I'm right, she has to admit it. She doesn't have to follow it, but she has to admit it. Okay, so now it's not going to be, it's for no, money. It's like a business. How much you make per hour? She makes... Whatever it is, I'll double it. And she'll stay for an hour. <laughs> All right? Okay. As long as she's not a lawyer or whatever, charging $700 an hour. Um, Especially if she has a degree, it's like big. Any other questions? No? Okay, Hazakabou. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.